0: You know, Jesus is alive, he's not only resurrected and alive in a physical body uh, because he's the God-man, he became man and his physical body rose from the grave, but he's alive and he's here today. The Bible says he walks among the lampstands, the lampstands represent his uh, churches, and he's in our midst where two or three are gathered together in his name. The scriptures say there he is in the midst of them, and he is certainly in our midst uh, this morning. Uh, He is Lord of the church. This is his church. He is here. He sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. He loves you, cares about you. And uh, the greatest sign that he gave is the sign of Jonah. And Jesus said, "As, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And that's a great picture of his resurrection. That was a typology, a picture. And he tied a typology into the greatest sign that he would give. And I love... And a lot of people in this fellowship love typology. I mentioned in uh, the, the morning service before this at the sunrise service that if you go into a lot of churches and you mention the word typology, a lot of people be like cross-eyed. They're, they never heard the word. Uh, but, but, and for believers that haven't really studied typology, they're really missing out on the beauty of the Lord, the power of the Lord, for so many reasons. And I love typology because it shows me the mind of God. And when I talk about typology, the word typology or type, uh, comes from the word tupos in the Greek, which is a type or a picture of something, of a, of a greater reality, like a, a, an outline or a shadow of something that happened in the past that speaks prophetically of something that would happen in the future. Uh, and the outline is a faint, a, you know, point, or I mean, it's, they're brilliant sometimes, but they're, they're not the reality, but they point to Christ. And there's a lot of typology. And, and a lot of times on a Resurrection Sunday, I like to go into the evidences of Christ's resurrection, eyewitness accounts. We have, you know, the eyewitness accounts are just, they just blow you away, amen? But we also have, uh, you know, uh, the manuscript evidence, thousands of manuscripts, more manuscripts than any uh, writings of, of antiquity by far, uh, thousands and thousands, uh, you know, copies that are closer in proximity to the original autographs, uh, the original writings uh, than any other of the a- ancient works of antiquity. Uh, the, the scripture, God's made sure his testimony is there and we have living testimonies and we have better testimony, <laughs> eyewitness testimony than anybody else has because we have the actual eyewitnesses living their lives, going back to the same places over and over again to be beat up and leaving their, their vocations and, and, and going on you know, the apostles that saw the resurrected Christ and getting whipped and flogged but continue to say he is risen. Uh, those would be very credible witnesses in a court of law. Amen. So to deny the resurrection of Christ would be to deny very credible uh, testimony, uh, and would ultimately be a denial of just reality. Uh, the reality is that Jesus rose from the dead, and we have great evidence of that. But one of the great testimonies of evidence that I think is overlooked when it comes to uh, the, you know, the prophecies, or I should say the reality of Jesus' resurrection, is typologies, pictures that God has drawn, because typologies are prophetic pictures. And to me, I've always, I've said for years, uh, and uh, a lot of you know it's true. In apologetics, one of the missing links in apologetics is few apologists make use of prophecy as an evidence of God. Uh, because in the scriptures, it's very, very clear that, you know, God himself says, I proved to you that I'm the one true God because I tell you the end from the beginning, beginning. amen? And uh, that's when someone can tell you that what's going to happen over and over again and do, it, do so accurately, that person gains instantaneous credibility, right? When they're 100% accurate, that's how you know he said he's the one true God. And the world right now is in a place of hopelessness and despair uh, coming out of COVID, which some are trying to resurrect. Uh, uh, who knows where it'll go and where the sicknesses will go and what weird sicknesses some governments may be engineering for the future or what plagues will take place, because the Bible says, you know, even God pours out his judgments upon the wicked, a lot, of, it's going to get worse in some ways, but now we're dealing with the wars and rumors of wars that Scripture is talking about, war in Ukraine with Russia, uh, you know, and you have, you know, Putin rattling his nuclear sabers, you know, uh, and trying to freak out the world so nobody, you know, gives the help that Ukrainians need and so forth. And I've done a number of messages on Bible prophecy that things are lining up that way very interestingly, and it's good to keep our eye on it to see where it goes. Uh, We don't understand prophecy perfectly until after it's fulfilled, but we want to actually learn from it and say, hey, what does it appear to be saying and pray about it. But in the midst of all that, you know, the world is in a state of hopelessness and despair. Millions of people were hiding behind their doors, freaked out for a couple years. You know, some still are, you know, uh, because people were dying left and right, and, and also uh, there was the, the the extra fear factor put on people by politicians and the media, uh, and also there were a lot of uh, there's a lot of concern right now, and we need hope. And the Bible talks about the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. I did a message on Jesus being our hope uh, recently, a few weeks back, uh, and that the biblical term for hope, the name of our fellowship is Blessed Hope Chapel, taken from that scripture there on the wall, and. Uh, the biblical hope is not a hope where I hope this happens. It's a hope of certainty. It's an expectation with confidence that something will indeed happen. The Bible says that we have a hope that does not disappoint, amen, yeah. that comes to pass, that gets fulfilled. And that's just awesome. But I love typology because I love prophecy and I love pictures, you know? I love pictures that, that, that say that a picture's worth a thousand words, right? And I love, uh, you know, kids and grandkids, and I've had kids, and I have grandkids, and life's time's going so fast, I might have grand, great grandkids, in hopefully 10 years or so, but it's like, wow, time just, well, 10, let me count the age, yeah, 10 would be okay. If you're married, that's good. Uh, that's, that, that's what matters, you know, like, anyway, uh, man, I'm like, man, time races by, and I just, we just need to make sure, you guys, that we're right with the Lord, amen, and the kids, the grandkids, they love stories. And I love to tell them stories and, and you know and, and, and they love to see pictures. I love books that have pictures in them that, that, that show the concepts in picture form and the father knows that we are his kids, and he uses pictures over and over again because pictures indeed are worth more than a thousand pictures more than, worth more than a thousand words and it 's interesting he uses them over and over again so Uh, There's tons of types. We use them all the time here at Blessed. So pictures in the Old Testament, where God casts light upon a a prophetic event in the future. Now, here's the heavy thing about a typology: is typologies are so powerful because there's there's pictures that God draws of a future reality. It could be of a person or a place or a thing, a prophetic event that will take place. Typically, they're pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption. And what's heavy about these pictures is God draws them in his sovereignty and his providence, right, by using people and circumstances and bringing things to pass in such a way to paint a greater reality. It blows me away. That's what just trips me out. He's not just painting with, with a little bit of paint saying, you know, that, that would be easy, right? Or, or, or you know, making up this little story, he's actually taking people's lives, and he's routing them in certain directions through his providence. Now, people have free will, so that makes it a little bit harder. That makes it way harder. Can you you think about herding cats, okay? But God is a master chess player, so the Bible says, you know, man can cast, you know, the die and, you know, make his decision, but the Lord ultimately makes the decision, amen? So God can say, I want to go over here and do that, and yeah, you have free will to do that, but then God's going to also do this, amen? And it's just amazing how he works, and he makes these pictures over and over again of Christ. You know what, I set out to do some types and pictures of Christ in, I had like f- you know, three or four, four messages at least in my heart for this weekend. And I knew I could preach two. And I thought about it, and there's a couple I wanted to save for next year. Uh, out of, you know, one that I've been wanting to preach for years, a few, a few years now, since my la- our last Israel trip, however long ago that was. And I was gonna preach that this Sunday I thought, no, I'm gonna save that for one more year because I had another message burning on my heart and then I had a bunch of typologies but I thought when I preach on typology, there's so many pictures of Christ. They're just so powerful and they just encourage your faith and I like to preach them, encourage people in them because I see the faith of my brothers and sisters go up like this when you go through typologies. I remember walking through uh, the the, the, uh, parking lot one Sunday morning just before service and I ran into Dave Hughes and, and he brought up typology and he's like, why don't preachers preach on typology more? Man, it's just so awesome. It encourages your faith so much. You know, he's going off and it was pretty cool because he's all excited about God's word. You know, and Typology is just amazing because guess what? There's, it, it makes it really hard on the devil because Satan wants to cast disbelief, ruin our hope, amen? But liberals even can't, liberal theologians, they can't really attack typology. How can you explain it away? You can't. You're talking about Throughout the Old Testament, all kinds of pictures of Christ, thousands of years. In the case of Abraham bringing up Isaac on the mountain, Mount Moriah, right where Christ would be crucified 2,000 years earlier, amen? Right? And he he receives him, he puts him down, he's going to slay him. Uh, Isaac's, you know, born supernaturally like Jesus was. His mom couldn't have a baby. She was 90 years old, not a virgin, but she's a picture. And all of a sudden, boom, there's Isaac, right? given his name before he's born, just like Jesus. That wasn't typical of of Hebrew parents, you know? Uh, Guess what, man? Boom. Or told, I'm sorry, told prophetically that he'd be born before he, he came like Jesus. And guess what? He carries the wood for a sacrifice up the hill, just like Jesus carried the wood up the mountain. Amen? Up to the same mountain, Mount Moriah, where you're going to take him and, and, and kill him. Well, Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary, where Jesus was killed. Okay? It's just a blow, mind. Oh, and by the way, when he came back down with Isaac, guess how long it had been? Three days. and th- Three days. Third day. Boom. And Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham received him back because God told him don't kill him as a tupas, a type, a picture. Okay, this is the, so this is not something that I'm coming up with, this is Bib- biblically, there's all kinds of types of pictures. So I knew there were a lot of types of pictures. I use them all the time, but, I, but I, you see that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it says that Jesus, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel by which you are being saved, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Right? He was buried and that he rose again according to the Script. scriptures. What scriptures? What scriptures? The Old Testament, the New Testament wasn't written. Paul's writing the New Testament right there. 1 Corinthians 15 is part of the New Testament. But he's telling us that the scriptures talk about Christ's resurrection. Now you can see his death in a lot of places in the Old Testament. Specifically Isaiah chapter 53, amen? Or Psalm chapter 22. Really clear prophecies about his death. You know, Psalm 22, 900 years before Jesus died. You know, my God, my God, why are you so forsaking me? They pierced my hands and my feet. That's, you know, pierced hands and feet 900 years ago? They didn't invent, Persians didn't invent crucifixion until a couple hundred years later. it spread to the Greeks and then the Romans perfected it. He, David's hands and feet were never pierced, you know? And then it even goes on to talk about how he'll live again, resurrection. Isaiah 53 also talks about resurrection as well and how he'll divide his booty and, and divide it, the spoils and so forth. And Isaiah 52 also talks about how he'll be highly exalted after his death. So those passages clearly speak of his resurrection, but a lot of scholars will say when Paul says, resurrected according to the scriptures. A lot of the you know, Bible commentators will say, well, we don't know exactly what Paul had in mind because they, they, try to, they, they think that there's not a whole lot of resurrection in the Old Testament prophetically. Well, guess what? If you go through the scriptures, you look for just clear scriptures that say the Messiah will be resurrected, you will be hard pressed to find just clear straight declarations. Uh, you have to read Isaiah 52 and 53 and you have to read it carefully and see, wow, who's it talking about here? And you'll find out that, wow, this one is going to be exalted and raised from the dead. Or you have to look at Isaiah uh, Psalm 52 and get beyond the piercing of hands and feet and read where he lives in the end after he cries out to God. He, God raises him from the dead and he's talking far more than about David who never was pierced and had his hands and feet pierced. In fact, David talked about how his soul would not be left in Hades and his body would not see corruption or decay. But Peter says in Acts chapter 2, His grave is with us to this day, you know? His body saw decay, but he spoke prophetically by the power of the Holy Spirit about who? The Messiah who rose from the dead, amen? So even David was a type. You know what I went through Sunday morning, the earlier service? uh, Twelve different typologies of Christ's resurrection in the Old Testament, Sorry, Israel, I will do that again, Lord willing. I don't, preach as, I don't preach sermons over and over again. I try to always have something fresh and new, but that's one that I will preach again because I thought, you know what, that one needs to go out on the internet, go out to the, our live stream audiences, go out here. We hit 12 of them, okay? I got home after the service, though, Israel, and I wrote two more down, so we we're up to 14. So between these two services, you know? And, and the Lord is like shaking his head maybe saying, Joe, there's 1,400, I don't know. There's so many of them. I don't know, you know, because they're just all over. And what I'm sharing with you this morning is one that I'd never seen before. And I, you know, I I was going through the scripture and I'm like, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, wow, I've never seen this one before. And I wrote down Resurrection 2022. It's like six months ago or so. And I knew when I was wrestling with the other messages when I preached, I knew I had this one back there that I, and I thought I maybe made some notes, a few notes here and there. I went back to it and I had like nine or 10 pages typed out that I had already written on it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I just gotta clean up my writing here (laughs) because uh, now this one's definitely in play. And this one is a very interesting one because it's, uh, and I, I tripped out because when I shared these messages, these 12 types this morning, earlier at the sunrise service, I realized that almost every one of them was something I'd preached in the past, and a lot of people probably recognize a lot of them, but I never put them together and realized how many, how many, how many prophetic pictures through typology of Jesus' resurrection are throughout the Old Testament. And it took us a while just to get through the book of Genesis, for those of you there, amen? There's a lot there, you guys. We got an awesome God, amen? Now, when Jesus rose to the dead, we read in Luke chapter 24, verse 26, as he Met a couple of his disciples on the road to the Emmaus, and they were really distraught. They were sad, and because he'd been crucified, and he concealed his, himself as to reveal who he is, didn't reveal who he was. Which, by the way, all these things are in typology. It's over and over again. Joseph concealed himself, and he was considered dead to his brethren. I don't get in all that, but that was earlier this morning. Uh, and it was asked, and then Jesus said to them, "Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer?" These things, and to enter his glory, into his glory, then beginning with Moses. Moses is the first five books. And with all the prophets, it goes on to say, all the prophets, uh, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And later on in Luke chapter 24, it says he opened their minds, or he showed them again, I'm sorry, and not only the law of Moses in the prophets, but in the Psalms. Okay? And we were just mentioned a couple of Psalms with King David. Okay. And King David, man, he was, I didn't even say a lot of things this morning. I mean, just think of King David. I mentioned that he was from Bethlehem. Jesus from Bethlehem. He was a shepherd. Jesus the a good shepherd. He's, he's the king. Jesus is the king of kings. David descends from King David. David's nobody expects him to be, the, be, to be the king. Jesus was rejected. He was rejected by his brethren, both rejected by their brethren, both persecuted, both betrayed. Uh, Jesus was, or Jesus was, i uh, sorry, the betrayal of David was by Hithophel. His trusted counselor, you remember that, that? Yeah. and that, and that. David said he has lifted up his. My trusted counselor has le- lifted up his heel against me. Guess who quotes that in the New Testament? Of Judas, John thirteen. That's right. Jesus quotes that of Judas. And he had the commit suicide. Judas commits suicide. Gee, when David's being persecuted at this time, he goes up to the Mount of Olives. Yeah, Woo! That's where Jesus went. Amen. Crossed the Kidron Brook. That's right. They both crossed the Kidron Brook and went to the Mount of Olives. And guess what? David, when, he, when Absalom is finally killed, and it was a picture of the Antichrist, David comes back, but he has two pe- people that go before him to pave the way, to announce that he's coming. Guess what? Before Jesus comes back to the second coming, there'll be two witnesses. That's right, Israel. There'll be two witnesses that'll be proclaiming in the book of Revelation chapter 11. Okay. It's all over the place, and I'm getting way away from my notes. I wasn't supposed to talk about King David at all, but we didn't even talk about some of those things about King David this morning. He was one of the pictures. But there's all these things, in the prof- law, the prophets, the, the law of the prophets, and, uh, you know, Moses and the book of Psalms. And listen to what Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7 referring to the Old Testament. Behold I have come in the volume of the book. In the volume of the book it is written of me. That's one of my favorite ones. Hebrews 10 1 says and we read this in the Old Testament that it was only a shadow of the good things to come. The NIV puts it this way, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So when we look at these shadows, it's not the reality. These shadows are pictures, true events that took place, but they're shadows of the reality. Colossians 2:16 and 17 puts it like this. He says, don't let anybody judge you about a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath or, or Sabbath day. In other words, People that are judged, oh, you got to keep the Sabbath or what have you. Don't let them judge about that. He says, these are a shadow of things to come. See, the the Sabbath, once a week you'd rest. That was a shadow, God bless you, of the day of what? Of the day of rest that we have in Christ. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, right? His yoke is easy. He says, my burden is light, amen? Don't let them judge you according to festival, a new moon, or Sabbath. There are shadow things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Man, that's awesome. So guess what? Something casts a shadow, amen? The object that the shadow is of, the shadow just gives you an outline. And the outline tells you something. If you see an outline of a tree, you say, wow, it looks like a tree. You're looking in the street or, you know, a park. Wow, you look behind you, then you see the tree. Well, these shadows we're talking about are outlines of Christ. He is the reality, amen? amen? And this is what the Bible teaches, is that God uses typology. I wish to God that people and churches and brothers and sisters in Christ would get more excited and get into prophecy, or get into a typology. They're my favorite types of prophecies because they're prophecies with flesh and bone. I get my brain around them, you know? Can apply it more easily to my understanding and so forth, and I just love it. I love, don't get me wrong, if you ask me my favorite prophecy about Christ, I'll say Isaiah 52 and 53. Ha, because that's just really, really, really clear, straight out, you know, and, and so, so clear that the Jewish synagogues, when they get to Isaiah 52 and 53, they skip those two chapters, okay? But even there, there's a typology, because if you pay close attention to Isaiah 52, going into chapter 53, you'll notice it's the language of the Passover it's a language of, of what happened in Egypt. It's about the Lord and the language that's used there is taken right from Exodus as though, as, as though Isaiah had that open when God was speaking to him or he told him to open it. Whether he did or not, God gave him words of the Paschal Lamb. So there's a picture there going on too. But I'm going to eat too deep. So I got to go back, go into our text now. Are you with me though? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm sorry if I'm excited, but guess what? He's alive, amen. Oh, He's God. risen from the dead. Yes. And we, so I'm not sorry at all, really. Uh, So let's go to, uh, well, I'm going to mention one thing, the Proto-Evangelium. And that's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first three chapters of the Bible. And we read, after Satan deceives the woman and Adam falls into sin as well, the Lord God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise uh, you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, through Jesus' death, he was literally, he was, he was bruised on the heel. In other words, he rose from the dead. So it wasn't, uh, he died. Yes, he died all the way too. Yet he rose from the dead. And he conquered death. So ultimately, and that's be more like a heel wound compared to what Satan went through. And his head will be crushed. Amen. He's already been defeated on the cross. Just like David killed Goliath. Yes, sir. And Goliath was dead, right? But then he decapitated him. Well, God's already defeated Satan, and then eventually his head will be decapitated, so to speak, or be thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. So it's quite interesting. uh, When we talk about the cross, most churches, most Christians emphasize, well, not today as much, it's hard, to sad to say, but they should be emphasizing that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. Amen. That he was our substitute. He died in our place on the cross. Amen. We call that his substitutionary or his vicarious atonement. Amen? He died in our place. And that needs to be emphasized. I say not so much anymore because the Emergent Church, watch our video called The Submerging Church. It's very big on Amazon. We get a lot of people getting it all the time on, on Amazon Prime. You can watch it. I don't. might even be free there if you got Amazon Prime. The Submerging Church is, uh, they've, they've, oh no, Jesus, you know, God would never let his son, you know, suffer his punishment. No, that's not, uh, yeah, wrong, Isaiah 53. He suffered the stroke for which we were due. What do you think the Passover lamb was about? The Passover lamb, the lamb gets it instead of the firstborn, right? Uh, And there's so many other pictures of that. Isaiah 53 is very clear, uh, substitutionary atonement. And by the way, the Bible says he died for our sins, amen? He paid for our sins. But you know what? One of the things, another aspect of the cross that's been missed for a long, long time, even by Orthodox Christians, is what we call Christus victor. And Christus victor is the idea that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he conquered Satan and defeated him through his death on the cross. And the principalities and powers that held us bound in our sins have had to relinquish us, those who've come to faith in Christ. We're no longer under Satan's power, but we've been translated out of the dominion of darkness and translated in the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1, 11 through 13. Amen. And there's a lot of emphasis in Scripture on Christ's victor, but it doesn't get the same emphasis in the preaching and in the churches. And I think we need to preach it because guess what? Satan hates that reality, yes. and we have victory. People that are, just like Jesus, they all kinds of people are possessed, oppressed, walking the streets, lost, get involved in yoga, all kinds of Eastern mysticism, all kinds of occult things, open themselves up to demonic entities, and they need deliverance through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. But it's through the power of His cross that our Lord and Savior delivers us from Satan, death, sin, hell, and all that. Amen? So I want to show you a typology that as I was reading through the Scripture, I'm like, oh, wow, I've never seen this before. And some of you are familiar with the text, but I'm saying I haven't seen this as a picture of the resurrection. Oh, by the way, I'm doing a message next Sunday. You know, we've been back in Revelation, but I guess I'm I'm just, I'm sorry. I almost said I'm hung up on the cross lately but uh, that, that sounds weird, but I'm a, a focused on the cross lately, you know, uh, and the resurrection, and they just found, you might look into it because I'm going to get into it a little bit next Sunday. They just found, uh, and Jevin, you might be, Jevin, did I see Brother Jevin? There you are, brother. Man, I just saw it. It was so cool. Uh, we've, they've just found a, uh, a little tiny, not really scroll, a tablet, okay? And on that tablet, it has the it's a curse tablet. And they're on Mount Ebal. They found it in that area where Joshua first came into the promised land and they set up and there was a mountain of curses, Ebal and Gerizim next to it. And it's it's a long story, and if I get into it, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in trouble with this and not be able to preach this. But I'm gonna tell you what, it's pretty heavy. And guess what? They've been saying liberal scholars for years. It's taught all this in probably most places when Exodus is mentioned in universities. Oh, yeah, it probably happened 600 years later. They didn't even have Hebrew writing back then. Uh, you know, yeah, that's what they say. Oh, they didn't have Hebrew writing back then. You know, they, they didn't have any Hebrew writing. And, you know, the, the Mo- Moses, <coughs> the Exodus, that was the, 600 years after the events. And who knows? It probably didn't even happen or whatever. You know, they say that. Mm-hmm. Woo, guess what they found? This curse tablet dates, they're dating it right now about 1400 years before Christ as an eyewitness account right there where Joshua let the curses out. And we're going to get into that because there's a great picture and typology going there even without that because that's just an interesting mention. We'll get into that next Sunday. I was going to preach that this Sunday. That's one that I was struggling with, you know, that I won't wait till next year because it's kind of relevant because of what's happening. And we'll have our photographs of the Cursed Tablet, stuff like that. And they're checking it out. They've already done some. Uh, they've already looked into it to a degree. But they're going to look at it more and more. And so far, it's looking very authentic. It's tripping out. The liberals are like, it blows their whole theory up. Well, man, just read your word. Read the word, amen, and blow your theories. To, you know, God's word is more is, is truth. You're, let, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar, Amen. So I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we don't have time to get into the battles and stuff, but here the Philistines are at war with Israelites. And Eli is the high priest. And guess what happens? They take the Ark of the Covenant. Now the covenant was a covenant that was made on Mount Sinai. So how many of you have seen movies about the Ark of the Covenant, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff like that. That's not really biblical, just in case you didn't know, okay? But the Ark of the Covenant had the covenant that that God made with his people when he gave them the law at Mount Sinai. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. And they stole the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines did, the Philistines were one of Israel's greatest enemies. When you, if somebody said, hey, what were the top enemies of, of the Israelites? And some people yelled out Philistines, they wouldn't necessarily be wrong because they show up over and over again. Okay, they were up in Syria, right, and, and the north of Israel and so forth. And they worshiped false gods like Baal and, and, and Dagon and so forth. Now, it's interesting. Uh, when the ark, when Eli found out that the ark had been stolen... And he knows for sure it's gone. Look what happens. Look at verse 18. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was old. He was like 98. He was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel 40 years. The high priest dies right when the ark is taken in the battle. He found that it was taken. (sighs) Boom. He also finds that, you know, uh, uh, Phinehas and Hophni, his sons, were killed in battle. But it's interesting, right after he finds that out and he hears that the ark of God has been taken, verse 17 at the end, he's not like, oh no, my sons. He's freaked out over the ark being taken. That's where the sacrifices, of the day of atonement sacrifice be put on the ark. And it, and it represented God's presence in the Holy of Holies where nobody could go except the high priest once a year. So this is very, very interesting. Now I want you to pick the story up at 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Now the Philistines, okay, now before we get in in the first few words, now the Philistines, okay, before we get into this, remember, okay, remember this, prior or during the times of the judges, Who had a a lot of battles with the Philistines? Samson, Samson, amen? Okay. Samson was also a picture of Christ. In fact, we studied Samson as a picture of Christ in his death, I think that was last year, right? So, but it's interesting because keep in mind, he's fighting against the Philistines and they worship Dagon and and he is a pretty crazy uh, picture of Christ. In fact, I'll just bring up a few things about Samson Uh, I preached a whole message on it, but he was a picture, uh, and he was uh, fighting the Philistines. We talked about that last time. He was announced, Samson's mother uh, was announced, Manoah, the father and the mother, she was barren, just like Mary, just like Mary wasn't really barren. She was a virgin, but she was going to have a baby at that point without a man, but uh, like Sarah is who I meant to say, but they both point to Mary. Sarah was barren, had a baby at 90. Isaac was a picture of Christ. We talked about that. Samson, uh, Manoah's wife, couldn't have a baby. But an angel announced his birth in Judges 13, 3 through 5. The birth was unex- uh, unexpected by both parents. And uh, we also, at first, until the angel had said that, uh, guess what? Israel was in great turmoil with Gentiles subjecting her, just like when Jesus came. Israel was subjected to Rome, Right? Uh, And that's very, very important. The baby was dedicated to God, even as Jesus was dedicated to God. Uh, The angel of God primarily dealt with Manoah's wife, not Manoah. The angel dealt primarily with Mary and not with Joseph in the New Testament. Samson was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Samson was betrayed for money by Delilah. Jesus was betrayed by Judas for money by Judas. Uh, they mocked and they made sport of Samson. Remember, they took him out in the temple of Dagon. They they took him out in the temple of Dagon to uh, mock him because he cut off his hair because that was a symbol of the power that he had and he flirted and played around with that whole thing. Boom, got a crew cut and then he had no power. Took him in, gouged out his eyes in case his power would ever possibly return and guess what, his hair started to grow out a bit and a little boy's leading him and they're mocking him just like they mocked Jesus. Remember that? And it's interesting, he told the little boy to put me by the pillars. The little boy put him by the pillars and he reached both his hands out in the form of a cross and pushed the pillars of Dagon apart and the temple of Dagon came down on their heads and it destroyed the temple of Dagon which is a great picture of Christus Victor because it shows how Christ gets power over the principalities and powers of Satan through his death on the cross. There's a lot more going on in the cross than we know. I like to look at the cross like a diamond. There's yes. It's, some say, well, Jesus died to show us God's love. Absolutely, but that's not the only reason. It says we know that we know love by this, that God gave his son, 1 John. Amen. He, he sent his son to show us how much he hates sin. Yeah, that's true, but that's not the only reason. You can't leave out that he died to pay for our sins. That's the main reason, amen. amen. And you can't leave out Chris's victor. But if you don't understand, and and, and a lot of churches don't deal with spiritual warfare and the fact that there's a spiritual realm and that we're supposed to be putting our armor on, if you don't deal with that as a Christian, a lot of Christians don't even think about that, he's going to have a field day with you. We need to rejoice in Christ's victory in the resurrection for so many reasons. And it says of Samson that he killed more people in his death than in his life. And he killed a lot of people in his life. Guess what it says? It killed 3,000 right there, it says. Guess what it says of Jesus. The scriptures are very clear that when Jesus died on the cross, he saved more people. He saved more people through his death than his life. Amen? And as 3,000 were killed by Samson, guess what? 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost when the gospel was first preached after the church had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just amazingly beautiful. Now it's interesting. We see that Eli has died, the priest has died. Who is the high priest. He was, by the way, the temple hadn't been built yet, so they had a makeshift temple, a, 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 a temple they would transport, which was really not a temple, it was called the tabernacle, amen? So in the wilderness, they were following the specifications God had given, and later they would build a temple, but as they wandered through the wilderness, and then when they first came into the promised land, at Sh- and then they were, they were at Shiloh, they built, the, you know, they have the tabernacle there, and they have the holy place, and then the holy holies, where only the high priest could go, that would be Eli. And then Eli, uh, you know, he dies when he finds out that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. So it's interesting. He was, he was a high priest. He was also a judge. He's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the high priest. In fact, when you read in the book of Hebrews, the high priest was a picture of Jesus who was the highest of all priests because he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. But it mentions Aaron the high priest as it being a picture of him there in the Hebrews chapter 5, I believe. So it's all quite interesting when you think about it. And there the Ark of the Covenant was about, it was about two feet by four feet, you know. And it, there it laid. And it was a powerful picture of God himself. That's where the sacrifice was made. It was, it was made of wood and gold. Wood is this creation, right? Gold is a picture of the heavenly realm. Because... because Christ is God and man, amen? So it's a great, powerful uh, picture uh, of, of Christ. And the high priest could only go in. If you, if you tried to go into the Holy of Holies, right, as a, as a regular priest, boom, you'd be dead, man. You'd step in the very presence of God. And the high priest couldn't even go in there except, we said, once a year on the Day of Atonement when he went to make sacrifices for the people. And before he made sacrifice to the people and put the blood on the mercy seat, And there were an angel on both sides of the mercy seat, right? Two cherubim. They were allowed to make images to worship, but they could make cherubim that would look toward each other over the mercy seat because they're, they're, what were cherubim about? What did God do with cherubim in Genesis chapter 4? He put them around the tree of life as guardians, right? With flaming swords so nobody would eat from the tree of life. That's what it says. They were protectors. And they, they are around the presence of God when you read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Guess what? When Jesus rises from the dead, guess what they see? An angel on both sides of where Jesus laid. Where the sacrifice had been laid. No kidding. It says on both sides. One side, where his feet would be and where his head would be. But they, he, yeah, so much of it, right? He is risen, though, they declared. All this points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen to what Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 says was in the Ark of the Covenant. One thing we know was in the Ark of the Covenant for sure was the covenant, right? The two tablets of stone, right? But it says this. There were three things actually. That was one of them. It says there was the golden pot that had manna. So some of the manna was preserved that God gave them during the wilderness journey, right? And Aaron's rod that budded, right? And the tablets of the covenant. Three things. The tablets of the covenant. By the way, uh, the Aaron's rod that budded, that was, that's a picture of the resurrection. I, I, that was one of the 12 types I gave. And I don't have time to get in, but there was 12 rods. And they were saying, ah, Aaron shouldn't be the high priest. How come we can't be the high priest? And God said, get 12, 12 rods, dead, dead sticks, and stick them, hide them away. And the one, write every, write every tribe on that and write Levi, that tribe that I've chosen, and write Aaron's name on the one that says Levi. And the one that buds will be the chosen people to be the, the priest. Boom. It's not only budded, it has flowers, not just leaves, but flowers and almonds. And pfft, boom, it was dead, but now it's alive. Picture of the resurrection, amen. And by the way, after they were done with it, God said, put it back in the Holy Holies. Put it before the testimony of the Ark of the Covenant, right? That's where they put it at that point, Yep. So if these guys murmur again, just whip it out because these guys are rebels. And just say, hey, this is who God chose, okay? Pretty heavy, but after Jesus rose from the dead and came back to life, amen, yes, yes. and he's the branch, the Bible says he's the branch, yes. he's prophesied he's the branch that will come and bear fruit, amen, yes. the Bible tells us that he was, he went back to the holy holies in heaven, amen, yes, <laughs> so it's all so powerful, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, there's three things in there, there's the rod, uh-huh. okay, that show them the way, Who was the, the one that God had chosen, there was the covenant, the law, the covenant, right, the, the commandments, right, and the law is a tutor that points us to who? Jesus. it's Truth. Amen. And then there was the manna. Amen. And the manna was that fell from heaven that God gave them as they journeyed through the wilderness to make sure they didn't starve to death because you had what could have been two or three million people. That's just a crazy amount of people to feed and God was feeding them supernaturally. By the way, everything in the ark is a picture of Christ. The, 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 uh, the, the, the rod that budded showed them who, the right way. Jesus said, I am the way. The covenant is God's truth. I am the truth. The manna represented life, gave them life, physical life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I emphasize this for a very important reason. So you, you're, you're up to speed as to where this is going because it gets really, really heavy. So a couple things in mind I want you to keep right now. is The Philistines represent Satan's power. Okay, they worship Dagon. Dagon, by the way, is a, a demonic god. Uh, you know, uh, he's worshiped. He was, you know, I won't get too into him right now because I'm going to express a little bit more about him later. But understand what's happened thus far. The Ark of the Covenant has been stolen by the Philistines. The Philistines are God's enemies. The Bible says we don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual weakness in high places. This is like the Philistines represent Satan's kingdom. Amen. Amen. And, and, when, and what happens to Eli when he finds out this has happened? He falls over backwards, breaks his neck and dies. So the high priest dies. Okay, then what happens is this, this, this thing is taken, and th- this Ark of the Covenant, which represents Christ, okay, is taken, and let's go ahead and look at verse two. So in verse, in verse one, we read, now the Philistines, let's read the whole thing, now the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from uh, Ebenezer to Ashdod. okay, you can call it Ashdot if you want, but brought it to Ashdod, right? Okay, or Ash Uh Now, it's interesting. Then we read in verse two. Then the Philistines took the, ark God, uh, took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon or Dagon if you prefer. So they stick it before their God. They catch it immediately. Boom, they bring it to the temple of Dagon and they stick it in front of their God. Why do you think they would do that? Because in ancient times, you recognize that there was a spiritual battle going on, too. And the, the Bible says the gods of the nations are demons. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, that in, uh, it says that in Deuteronomy, it says that in the book of Psalms. It also says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the, sac- sacrifices, the Gentiles sacrifice, they don't sacrifice to just mere idols. He says they're sacrificing to demons, okay? They're demon gods. And what did Satan always want? To be worshipped, amen. When God became flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, Bow down and worship me. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He showed them to him in a moment's time. Jesus says it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. Amen. So what's going on here? Satan wants to be worshipped. And in ancient times, if one nation overcame another nation, they would oftentimes take their gods, bring them into the temple. And, make their gods, and put their gods in a bowing type position if they could yeah. to bow down before their God, to say our God's triumphed over your God. Yeah. Now, it's kind of hard to do this with the Israelites because when you went to their temple, what weren't you going to find? No you weren't going to find images. God said, don't, uh, don't make an image of me, okay? Yeah. Don't make an image of me in, he- for, you know, in heaven or earth or under the earth. Don't make any images of me the Bible says, you know, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen? Amen. God is not a man. He's not an image. He's eternal. Amen. He's omnipresent. Amen. He's infinite. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And you limit him by saying, this is my God and I'm going to worship. So the closest thing that you get to is what? That represented the God is who? Is what? The Ark of the Covenant. Right? But it wasn't made in his image, but it was, there were emblems associated with him and who he was, and it represented his presence, right? And the Bible says the glory of the Lord had departed at the end of chapter four. God, yep, Ichabod, glory of the Lord had departed. The Lord allowed it to happen because he was going to do something really, really, really powerful. So uh, you see this going on, and it's interesting because Dagon is often Uh, Many scholars have believe he's a a fish god, okay? And he had a counterpart that the Syrians also worshipped. In Syria, they worshipped uh, Dagon. And uh, a merman, if you will. How gross, a merman, you know? (laughs) Anyway, uh, and if you identify as a merman, uh, repent. (laughs) Repent, because that ain't right, okay? Repent. I (laughs) tell you, repent. Okay, anyway. but uh, Dagon, the, uh, the Hebrew word for fish, by the way, is D-A-G. Dag is a transliteration. okay? Uh, and uh, many have depicted him artistically as being half man, half fish. He was also, uh, you know, the god of grain and so forth. And he was considered the highest god of the gods that they worship. They worship Baal, but he was considered the father of Baal to the Philistines, Okay. Yeah, very interesting. So uh, they stick him before. In fact, uh, Naram Sin. Okay, he's a grandson of King Sargon of the Akkadians. Okay, and he expanded uh, the the, the, Ak- the Akkadian Empire more than anybody else. Okay, not 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 uh, Naram Sin, but uh, King Sargon. But he was a grandson of him. And we have in tablets or we have in writings from him uh, that are that are based on what he said that he created cre- credited. King Dagon, or I'm sorry, the God Dagon, uh, for the, quote, people whom the God Dagon had given to him, thus making him, quote, king of the four quarters, king of the universe. So he's considered a kingmaker. Well, that's what Satan said he was, right? Jesus, bow down to me, and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Isn't this interesting? So uh, now you have the Ark of the Covenant. They couldn't make the Ark bow down, though, could they? How do you make an Ark? <laughs> bow down. It's probably frustrating, but let's just stick it in front of him then. God, these Israelites, you know? It's, but in the Ain communities, Ain is ancient Near Eastern uh, communities, that, that was a practice. Was among many of them was to take the idol gods and place them in front of your, your idols, and they don't have, the Israelites didn't have any idols, right? Then we read in verse three. When the Ashadites uh, arose early in the morning or early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground <laughs> before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. So you can imagine, whoo, man, we've got the ark in front of our God, Dagon. You walk in there and he's bowing down to the ark. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, okay? Oh, he he was at it. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, the very next verse, verse. if you look at verse six, in the King James, it says God gave them hemorrhoids. So God, you know, uh, you know oh, man, does, but does. Well, that's the King James. Most translations have tumors. And it's probably tumors, but that could be a former former tumor, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, uh, he he got Dagon bowing down before the Ark of the Covenant, man. And God's just got this great sense of humor, you know. So it's interesting when you read this, uh, face down before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, uh, it's interesting because, by the way, they picked him up, you know. So they picked him up and they put, set him in his place. What kind of pathetic God is that? And what kind of pathetic worship are you? Where well, your God who has his hands and feet or whatever, or if he's merman, you know, because, you know, he's a, he, boom, you know, he can't even get himself up. What kind of God, I mean, come on, you know, kind of crazy. So it's very interesting. Then in verse four, we read this. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark. Of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Now, this wasn't by accident, this was supernatural. God making a statement, a declaration. Verse 5: Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor all who entered Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and asked to this day. Verse 6, now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites. This is the Lord, you guys. And he ravaged, by the way, it's kind of interesting, the hand of the Lord. <laughs> Dagon's hands don't work, right? The hands <laughs> of the Lord are working just fine. <laughs> now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them with tumors, both Ashtid and its territories. And if you continue to read the text, they, they take it from one city to the next, trying to get rid of it. Yeah. And they finally bring it back to the Jews and say, take him. Because people are dying left and right, getting tumors and everything. I mean, you can read the last, you can read the last verse of uh, chapter 5. And the men who did not die were smitten with tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. And that's after he goes from, you know, the Ecranites to another city, another Gath. He's in these different cities. People are dying. They're like, and when he comes to this last city, they're like, they've brought him over here. Oh, no. The Ark of the Covenant. They brought it over here, you know. Because, you know, you could t- touch the Ark of the Covenant and just... Be consumed. If you didn't, that's why they had to carry it on poles, you know, because it represented the power of God. Okay, now this is, gets really, really heavy, okay? Gets really, really heavy. Now, how is this a picture of the resurrection? Both the high priest and the Ark of the Covenant are pictures of Jesus. The same day the, high, the Ark of the Covenant is taken, who dies? the high priest. It's a picture. Jesus left heaven. The Holy of Holies is like a picture of heaven. By the way, in the book of Hebrews, it says the specifications for the temple were made according to God's, what was going on in heaven. Mm-hmm. The Holy of Holies in heaven. There's cherubim around God. Okay. There weren't literal cherubim uh, as far as that you could see in the Holy of Holies. There were pictures. And on the veil of the temple, there were embroidered cherubim on them. It was a picture of God's holy presence in heaven being guarded, okay? God leaves the holy holies in the person of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and life, depicted in the Ark of the Covenant, depicted in the high priest. There's so many different pictures because he's the diamond. He's the awesome one. He's, he, he, there's so many different beautiful colors refracting from who his person is, and these pictures give us a little grasp, or hopefully a great grasp in time, of how beautiful Jesus is, you guys. Now, the high priest, the, temp, the, the, the the same day that it's taken, the high priest what? Dies. The high priest is a picture of who? Jesus. Jesus. The ark being taken, the high priest dying, is all a picture of Jesus' death. Not a coincidence. He's a high priest. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, all these were shadows, outlines of something, a picture of something much bigger. Even the ark of the covenant, it was a shadow of Jesus, and his own sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, there was an angel on both sides of him, just like there was an Ark of Covenant. We're talking about something that is not what's going on in the temple. That's a picture of the reality that's going on in the world. Where Jesus died. But what's really crazy is I want you to do something with me. The day the Ark's taken, they put it before Dagon. And then let's read verse 3. And this is what blew me away when I was reading this. I'm like, what in the world? When the Ashdodites rose early in the, the next morning, when would that be? That would be day what? That would be day two. Behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. However, look at verse 4. But when they arose early the next morning, Thursday. what day is that? Thursday. Third day, woohoo! Third day. behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off to the threshold, on the threshold, only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. That's the third day, guys. That's the day Jesus rose from the dead and defeated Satan Amen. through his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. The ark of the covenant, high priest dies, picture Jesus. Next day, the Ark of the Covenant, picture of Jesus, boom. Next morning, boom, day goes down. Stick it back up. The third day, boom. And I'm glad he didn't say the third day there because he makes us search sometimes. That would be just maybe too obvious. The third day, you know, but it's the third day. And the third day is a picture of Christ's resurrection because when Christ rose from the dead and John the Apostle saw him sometime later and fell at his feet as a dead man, and Jesus put his right hand upon him at the Isle of Patmos where he would give him the book of Revelation. He said, fear not. He says, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold him alive forevermore and have the keys of Hades and of death. So now, what happened to people when they died in the Old Testament? Where did they all go? They all went to a place called what? Sheol in the Hebrew or Hades in the Greek New Testament, okay? Gehenna is the lake of fire. So they would go to Sheol. That was the underworld, amen? And it's kind of interesting because when I was studying Dagon, I found some things I never, I thought I need to study Dagon more. And I found that certain writers say that he was God of the underworld because uh, he was, now they don't have a ton of evidence for this. I've got to shoot straight with you because, but they say he was associated with the funeraries, funerals, right? So many believe, many writers believe he was somehow linked to being the God of the underworld. But whatever he was, you know, he did represent Satan because he was the kingmaker for the evil one, and he was the God that was head of Baal even. He was the head of all the demon gods, which is Satan. And Satan, because when we were lost before we knew Christ, how come we could go to heaven in the Old Testament when they died? Because Jesus hadn't yet paid for their sins, amen? So even the rich man... And Lazarus, when they both die, rich man doesn't know Jesus. He goes to Hades. He's in a place of torment. The rich man does. Lazarus, the poor man, he goes to Abraham's bosom and there's a gulf between the two of them. And you can't cross over the gulf, we read in Luke chapter 16. Isn't that interesting? So in the underworld, you have both those who are the righteous, who are putting their trust in Yahweh, and you have the wicked. But guess what? You cannot leave that place even though your heart's been made right with God, until the high priest dies. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Because there's a law in the Old Testament. They had cities of refuge. If you committed homicide, right? And you could go to a city of refuge and you were protected by God there. And you had to stay there. But you could be set free when, guess what day? When the high priest died, you were set free. Boom. So now we have here a picture of the high priest dying, the Ark of the Covenant, after, on the third day. Boom. Dagon, who represents Satan, is smashed to the ground. Hands cut off, palms up. I think it's cool. It's like the palms, it's like worshiping God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He's bowing before God. And he's all broken up, right? <laughs> and it's a trip because that's how we get set free from Satan's power, just like they would be set free from Dagon's power through the power of Yahweh. Are you with me? If it's, it's go, listen to it again if you're missing some points because it's really, 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 really powerful stuff. It's all right there in the, in the scripture because guess what? Yeah, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll bruise your head, man. He'll, and he crushed Satan's head, amen? So it's interesting here that uh, it says, early in the morning, the next, early the next morning, on the third day. Third day. Woo, man, guess what? Dagon is down for the count. And this time you could put him up, but he's just a stump, <laughs> right? <laughs> just he's just, just a up. We're worshiping a stump, guys. Yeah, you are. And he was a stump with just, you know, fake hands and head anyway, right? Well, guess what? When I read early in the morning, you know what it made me think about? Listen to Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes uh, that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down, their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? You're at a grave. You're, You're amongst a bunch of... You got a gravesite, basically, and he's not here because he's alive. Verse 6 He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, just like the Ark of the Covenant was, right? Be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The Ark of the Covenant being caught, it's a shadow gives us some outlines of the bigger story pointing to the substance, which is who? Jesus Christ, amen? When I read this, I think, happy Resurrection Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good, amen? Jesus came, it says, why did Jesus come? 1 John 3, 8. This is Christus victor. To destroy the works of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. uh, The devil has sinned from the beginning, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wow. How does he do that? You see, when humanity fell into sin through rebellion and partook of the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they subjected themselves to Satan. He's the one that said to do that. And the Bible says, What you obey, you become a slave to. And you're either going to obey sin and become a slave of sin, or you obey righteousness and the Lord, become a slave of the Lord. You're going to serve someone, right? Well, they, humanity, Adam, Eve, human race submitted to Satan under his power. First John five nineteen says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. Wow. And this is what Jesus said because he had to set us free. If he was going to set us free, he had to die. He didn't have to set us free. He chose to set us free. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 21, but he had to die if he was going to set us free. Luke 11, 21 and 22 says, Jesus said, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. while well, Satan was ruling. One stronger came, amen, and defeated him and took his plunder and set the captives free. Jesus came to set the captives free. And by the way, when he died on the cross, I don't have time to get into this too, too, too much depth. I've done a full teachings on this in the past. When he died on the cross, right after he died and he rose, did he go right to heaven? No. no. Where did he go? Come on. Where did he go? He, he went into the, remember as Jonah was in the, you know, belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Not just in a tomb on the surface of the earth. And in First Peter, it says this in chapter 3, verse 18b and 19, he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit in whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who were disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. So he went and proclaimed his victory to the spirits that were disobedient in the days of Noah. Many believe, and I agree with them, the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, uh, were cast down. It says that in the book of Jude, actually, uh, to what Peter calls it, Tartarus, but it's just a word, uh, that's a Greek word for the underworld, right? So it's really amazing. So when Jesus emerges from the underworld, declaring his victory, okay, that's when he said, he has, after the resurrection, I have the keys of Hades and death. Okay, think about it this way. He said, I will build my church and the gates of what? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We think of the gates of Hades as like, Oh, he's got to stop the gates of Hades. Gates are not offensive weapons. How, when's the last time you saw gates chasing people in a war? Okay, they're not. They're really not. Think about it, though. Important theological point. They're defensive, amen? And the gates of Hades, they hold people out and they hold people in, right? Think about it. Woo, man, this is gnarly, right? When Jesus dies on the cross, guess what? He's able to go in. But there's a good side of Hades or Sheol. That's where the righteous were in Abraham's bosom. And he goes to set the captives free. Amen? In fact, uh, he sets them free. In fact, listen to what it says in Colossians, how he got victory over Satan, and how, and with that, and Colossians and Ephesians are twin epistles. I love it, putting these two together. I just thought, these two go together really well. Colossians 3, 13, Right? This is where it talks about him being a shadow, these things in the Old Testament being shadows, the reality being in Christ. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Then it says when. He nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. When Jesus went to the cross and paid for our sins, right, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he not only satisfied the requirements of the law that condemned us, and we would be condemned if we paid, if if Jesus didn't die, we'd pay for our sins, but he satisfied the wrath of God, amen? Amen. He's a propitiation, a payment. says he's a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, amen? And he satisfied the requirement, and therefore the death penalty that was over us because of our sin, since we're forgiven, we're set free, and the accused of the brethren, Satan who says, they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty, he has no power over us because Jesus paid the fine, amen? Yeah. That's, what, that's how he disarmed the principalities and the authorities, because they have no room. Uh, he disarmed Satan, who's a prosecuting attorney, remember before, remember Job? He's a prosecuting attorney. The Bible says we have a defense attorney, though, a defense lawyer. The Bible says, I write these things in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. I write these things that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate, a defense lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And as I like to always point out, guess what? The prosecuting attorney, the the judge doesn't like in the court. He hates Satan because he's evil. He's a liar. He knows he's a terrible attorney. But Jesus, the, the defense lawyer happens to be his only begotten son, who he loves so much, who gave himself for us on the cross and could say, Father, I paid their fine. Amen. You, and for it says in Romans chapter eight, you know, neither height nor depth, principality of power, neither created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. And it says, who could, what can could separate from God? Can angel or principality? Nope. Uh-huh. Nuh-uh. Can death? nuh uh-huh. oh. Man, because guess what? The gates of hell would not prevail against him. And he went in through the gates of Hades and took the believers there that were there from the Old Testament times and Abraham was there and everybody else and he took them and he set them free and brought them into the heavenly kingdom. Amen? Praise God. Yes, that's, that's a fact. In fact, praise God. Give him glory. Amen? But what's a trip is ancient generals, you know what they would do? Because here it says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And what ancient generals would often do is they would parade the leaders, before they'd kill them often, they'd parade them through the streets showing their victory over them. And they'd also show the former POWs, prisoners of war, how they'd been set free. And they'd bring them, they'd, set up, they'd show how they're set free, and they'd march through the streets. Well, guess what? Disarmed them, and guess what? Not only disarm them, but guess what? Jesus paraded some of the POWs in, in Matthew chapter 27. It says, many of them came to life. They rose from the graves. Okay, I'm sure they weren't like zombies. In fact, they look better than we. They're like, wow, you look great because they're resurrected, right? They make us look like zombies. And they're like, they show themselves alive to many people. <laughs> yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. God is so good. Amen. So that's why, you guys, the scriptures are clear. Jesus said, I am the way, I am. I'm the resurrection and the life. Not just I'm the way, the truth, and life, but I'm the resurrection and life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he said, because I live, you shall live also. Amen? And praise God, we have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage you guys, how do you apply this to your life? First of all, you recognize that this great God became our high priest, the way, the truth, and life And he took the penalty that we deserved and he died in our place and that he rose again. And, but in doing this, he not only frees you from the power of sin, but also from the power of Satan, the principalities and powers. That way, when you feel harassed, you're, you're having night terrors that you feel like the enemy is attacking you. You just use the name of Jesus. Amen. Get away from me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan will flee. Okay. That means you need to put on the whole armor of God. The Bible talks about the different pieces of armor, the shield of faith, the the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the feet which are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, amen, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But you know when you put the armor on, you know who you're putting on? The Bible says, put on the armor of light. Romans chapter 13 says, put on the armor of light. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our armor, amen. And he's had victory over Satan. And that's the only way you can have victory over Satan is through him who conquered Satan, amen. Because the God-man who is greater than the bully who took people captive is the high priest who died to set the refuge, those in the city of refuge, free. Now, I want to encourage you guys to recognize that we have been set free, but we live in a world that's filled with people that are held captive by Satan. Amen? The gates of hell are holding them captive. It's metaphorical, okay? I don't believe there's literal gates you would see before hell. It's a metaphor for Satan's power. And not only did he hold people bound, but Jesus died to set them free. But in this world that we live in, there are millions of people. We can't go into the underworld. The, G- the Bible says in the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, it says of Jesus Christ, He ascended first descended into the lower parts of the earth, setting the captives free in his train. It says, this is all in the scripture, that's Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. He set them free. They've, they're already in heaven. The Bible says now to be absent from the body is to be what? Present. Present with the Lord, amen. We don't go there. Now we go right with the Lord because of what Jesus did. There's a lot of reasons to rejoice today, amen. But you know what? Now he wants to use us because we're the body of Christ. We're his hands and his feet, amen. He wants to use you and me as his tools to share the gospel that sets people free. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. Do you realize you have the power of God in the gospel that sets people free? You just need to share it to the captives. And guess what? All of you, myself included, we were in thousands or tons, a lot of people listening by uh, live stream. A lot of us were held captive. We all were held captive who were saved. And now we've been set free. Amen. So I want to encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just sit on this gospel, man. Share it with others. And I'll tell you what, your life will be really blessed. And it's like the little problems we go through here and there and sometimes bigger problems. Do you know how many of those would clear up if you just start serving Jesus? You know that? If you just serve him in, in ways that you give somebody a, a, a cup of cold water, you know? You give somebody, you know, that, that's a big deal. You're you involved in children's church. That's a big deal to the Lord because you're helping raise these children in Christ. You're spending your time, you're using the talents he gave you in a profitable way. There's different ways you could be used for the Lord's glory. Encouraging one another, just calling somebody and encouraging them and just saying, hi, hey, I love you, bro. Love you, sister. You can't leave it to one or two or three people because we're all juggling things, but we could all be doing it together, amen? amen? We all deserve to be condemned, and we all know it. We all deserve it. I had, we had, least, and I had the grandkids, the forum for eight days, and and Galilee. You can't hear when she talks. It's hard to understand what she's saying sometimes. I mean, it's a lot of times it is. But she's starting to talk more and more. And she's a couple years old, you know, but it's so sweet. To listen to her talk, but but man, she's got such a sweet side. But she's she's got a a, a, a very prickly a mischievous sweet side. If I can say it that way, because she's like funny. It's comical, and then she'll like give you that smile, and she's super cute. But she had a cut under her eye. And she was at, and I didn't see it, and she had just cut her eye at the swing set. And Gally Ariella was saying, yeah, she cut her eye at the swing set, you know? And, uh, and I was playing with it. And I shouldn't do this sometimes as a pop-up because Lisa was there, we're all talking. I go, oh, that didn't, Gally Ariella didn't do that to you? She was, mm, swings, you know? I couldn't really, you can understand some of the things she says. She says a few words really good. And I'm like, and i go, okay, so Ariella doesn't need a spanking, right? And I goes, and Arielle is laughing, no, I did not do that. You know, I go, yeah, I know you did, honey. And then she goes, I go, yeah, I'm not going to spank her. She's, she's innocent. She didn't do anything to you. It happened at swing set. And she goes, blah, 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 bla. And I'm like, I don't know what she's saying. I'm like, what? And kids speak in like some kind of tongue sometimes, right? So I'm like, I can't understand it. So I, and Lisa's right there. Lisa going, I don't know what she said. I beat Galilee. Say it again. I still don't understand it. And I, cause I said, I, I can't spank her. And she goes, I go, what'd she say? Uh, Ariel looks at me. She said, she said, I'll spank her, you know? Because <laughs> she has a gift of baby, baby interpretation, you know? And so Ariel Galilee was saying, don't worry, I'll spank her, you know? And, and then she's, and she starts, you know, then they're, then they're laughing again and stuff, you know? But we all deserve a spanking, right? We all deserve God's wrath. And we deserve more than a spanking. We deserve hell, amen? And the beauty of the resurrection is that Jesus redeemed us from the pit. And I've been going through a little series. I've done a couple messages on it last Sunday, I think, and then Wednesday on ways that Jesus suffered hell for us on the cross. You've got to hear it, the series, because he actually went through hell on the cross for us. And when I do the next week, the curse, that's one of the things he went through on the cross for us. So it fits in that series with the Mount Ebal. So I'm looking forward to next Sunday. But you know what? I love you guys. And what I'm really looking forward to is spending eternity with all my brothers and sisters in Christ forever and ever. And the only reason we get to do that is because we have a God that so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, amen? So if you haven't embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do it now because if you reject him, you will have to pay for your sins forever and ever and, and be separated from God forever. And I encourage you, don't do that, man. Embrace Jesus Christ who gave his life for you so you can have eternal life and you can have the joy that we Christians, true Christians have, amen? Praise God. Can we all please stand while they pass out the cup and the bread?